Hello and welcome to episode 62 of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm Adam. Firstly, a huge thank you to my new supporters on Patreon this week. That's Murder Under the Midnight Sun, Maria Sliz, Andrea Gossman and Christine Purvis. I'm really so grateful for your support. Thank you very much. Today's story is an incredibly sad and emotional one, encompassing over 30 years. I hope you enjoy the story, but before we start, I'm delighted that today's episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. Support this podcast and head to their website at hellofresh.co.uk and use the promo code TRUE to get 50% off your first two boxes. HelloFresh is a great company which delivers fuss-free recipes with the exact pre-proportioned fresh ingredients you need to cook them from scratch. I'm a vegan and they cater for vegetarian, dairy and gluten-free diets and there is absolutely no waste as the ingredients are pre-measured. Let me confirm that the vegetarian options I've eaten have been delicious, especially the risotto, which in many restaurants can be oh, oh so dull. But from HelloFresh, it was awesome. And as, let's say, a developing chef, the instructions were easy for me to follow, so my family could spend more time enjoying meals rather than planning them and preparing them. So try HelloFresh today and get 50% off your first two boxes by heading to hellofresh.co.uk and using the promo code TRUE. Support this podcast and get fantastic food delivered to your door. That's hellofresh.co.uk and using the promo code TRUE. Today's show is also sponsored by ShipStation. If you sell online, getting your orders out of the door quickly can be tough, which is why I recommend you use ShipStation. It's the fast and easy way to manage and dispatch your orders all from one place. You can use ShipStation to compare rates from top careers including Royal Mail, FedEx, DHL and UPS. So it's no wonder that ShipStation is increasingly a popular choice of online sellers across the UK. ShipStation makes it easy to batch and print labels so you can get orders out quickly and keep your customers happy. Now you can try ShipStation for free for 30 days. Plus, you'll get a special bonus when you use the promotion code UKTRUECRIME. To get this special promotion, just head to ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in UKTRUECRIME. That's ShipStation.com, then enter promotion code UKTRUECRIME. ShipStation.com. Support this podcast and make ship happen. It was 6.15pm on Sunday the 30th of September 2012. Gangnam Style was at number one in the UK charts. One More Night by Maroon 5 topped the US charts. And Andy Murray had just beaten Djokovic in the US Open to win his first Grand Slam tennis tournament. As so often, it was a dog walker who found the bodies on a quiet country lane at Newton Stacey near Andover. He first noticed a child's leg in the dark Saab convertible and immediately called the police. Once more, the first responders were met with a terrible scene. A seven-year-old boy and a six-year-old girl were dead in the car. 
the poor young boy had been stabbed six times and a kitchen knife was sticking bolt upright in his chest. His younger sister, dressed in a pink top and patterned pink leggings, had been stabbed in the heart and a major artery in her arm had been severed with a larger knife. Their father had also been stabbed and was dead. The area was cordoned off while scenes of crime officers inspected the crime area and Detective Superintendent Tony Harris of Hampshire Police said, We are currently investigating the circumstances surrounding this terrible incident. We are treating this as an isolated incident and we do not believe that anybody else was involved. Hyde Park, Central London, July 1982. Irene Cara was number one in the UK charts with fame and the Human League held the top spot in the US with Don't You Want Me. Corporal Geoffrey Young, originally from the Rhondda Valley in South Wales, was from a proud military family. Married to his wife Judith since he was 16, they had two young daughters, Sarah Jane who was four years old and Lorraine who was just 14 months old. As they'd married at just 16, they'd needed parental consent. Both their parents felt they were too young to get married, but that wasn't going to stop them as they took out a court order granting them permission. Speaking to the Daily Mail newspaper, Judith recalls, I remember the judge saying, Now, don't you two come back in here for a divorce? And Jeff replying, No, sir, that will never happen. Jeff had shoulder-length hair, as was the fashion then, but soon afterwards, he joined the Blues and Royals and had to have it all cut off. As Judith said, Jeff was a proud member of the household cavalry and his wife Judith worked as a cleaner around looking after the young children. The young family were happy, excited about the future and enjoying their new life in London. Tuesday the 20th of July 1982 was just like any other in Hyde Park, central London. Tourists were out in force to watch Jeff and his colleagues as the mounted troops of the household cavalry in all their military splendour took their normal route to Buckingham Palace for the daily changing of the guard. It wasn't just the tourists who enjoyed this spectacle. For the cavalrymen's children at nursery school in Hyde Park Barracks, 10.35am was always the most exciting time of the day. On hearing the gruffly barked order for the troops to draw swords, take order, march, their teacher would send the children to the window to wave off their fathers as they rode from the stables, their breastplates gleaming, their red helmet plumes swaying to carry out the changing of the guard. On that day in 1982, Sarah Jane Young pressed her nose to the glass with her classmates looking for her daddy. Speaking years later, she was still able to remember the discreet smile on Lance Corporal Geoffrey Young's face as he gazed up lovingly at her. They weren't allowed to wave back at their children, but he acknowledged her for sure. And then she also remembers her pride as she watched him troop, ramrod-backed, through the gates and onto South Carriage Drive. Then everything changed. The moments that follow still recurred via flashbacks that jolt her like lightning bolts. She's still able to feel the juddering blast that shook the nursery, several stories up in a towel block at the barracks. She is still able to feel the juddering blast that shook the nursery, several stories up in a tower block at the barracks. 
She hears the panic in the courtyard below. She sees the walking wounded trudging back, their uniforms bloody and torn. But most painfully of all, Sarah Jane remembers looking out for her daddy, then being told he wouldn't be coming home. She added, The teacher was there comforting us, of course, but I remember just feeling so lonely. I felt as though I was all on my own. That day nobody had paid much attention to the blue Morris Marina car that had been parked on South Carriage Drive. But within it, IRA terrorists had placed a huge nail bomb containing up to 25 pounds of high explosives and it was detonated by remote control, the talk button on a CB radio, as the soldiers rode past. The coward who pressed the button waited until they were able to cause the most possible damage before pressing the button. Shockingly, as the murderer must have had a good view of what was happening, probably from a nearby rooftop, they chose to detonate the bomb just as a young mum and her child in a pushchair passed by. Both of these were very lucky to escape with their lives, but not everyone was so fortunate. As well as 19-year-old Geoffrey Young, Anthony Daly, 23, and trooper Simon Tripper, age 19, were killed outright, and squadron quartermaster Corporal Roy Bright, age 36, the standard bearer, died from his injuries four days later. Seven horses were also killed. Anthony Daly had been married for less than a month when he died, as had Jeff's friend Simon Trooper, who was married to a nursery nurse, and this was his first duty after returning home from honeymoon in Greece just two days earlier. Although the military casualties were quickly removed, long-range camera lenses captured, in dreadful detail, the aftermath of the shattered remains of the car bomb surrounded by dead horses. Looking today, it's hard not to be moved to tears by the scenes of carnage. For some time the dead horses lay just pathetically in the road before, in the interest of decency, they were covered with blankets. As well as the mangled debris, pieces of flesh were scattered around the area and it was impossible to say if they were human or equine. It was just the most dreadful scene. Jeff Young was buried on his 20th birthday. The loss of her father, murdered when the IRA unleashed its hatred on the easiest of ceremonial targets, has devastated Sarah Jane Young's life. As a girl, she felt she had to stay strong for the sake of her younger sister Louise, who was then just 14 months. Her mum Judith said recently, at least Sarah Jane can remember playing with her daddy, but Louise has no memories of him at all and she feels cheated. But the horror of that summer's day in 1982 continued. Around two hours after the blast, determined that they would not be stopped by the earlier attack in London, in Regent's Park the band of the Royal Green Jackets were playing. Tourists and locals alike watched in the summer sunshine as they played a medley of upbeat songs from the musical Oliver. Unbeknown to them, weeks earlier the IRA had hidden another massive bomb beneath the floor of the bandstand and it had been time to detonate in the middle of their show. At 12.55pm the bomb went off. An eyewitness described how suddenly there was this tremendous whoosh and I saw a leg fly past me. The bomb was so powerful that one of the bodies was thrown onto an iron fence over 30 yards away by the impact. Every single musician was injured and seven killed, 
with many of the audience also hurt. The men killed from the Royal Green Jackets were Graham Barker, aged 36, John McKnight, 30, Robert Livingstone, 31, Lawrence Smith, 19, Keith Powell, 24, George Measure, 19, and John Heritage, 29. Keith Powell's mum said later, On the day at 1pm, I was rinsing up a cup at a sink in my classroom. I suddenly felt very ill and I mentioned it to a colleague, saying I had no idea why I'd suddenly felt so bad. On the way home, I went to the music store to purchase the score of Oliver. No idea why I wanted it, and nor did I have any idea at the time that this was what the band were playing. I got it, and then I went to the bus station, and saw on the placards about the bombs in London. Of course, this was before mobile phones and social media, so the news was much less accessible. I knew instantly that he was dead, and this was confirmed later, that evening. To this day, the band of the Royal Green Jackets have not played Oliver. Two years after the bombing, the composer George Lloyd wrote Royal Parks for the Brass Band, the second movement of which is In Memoriam, dedicated to the bandsman who died. I urge you, if you haven't already visited the bandstand in Regent's Park, which is in a stunningly beautiful location, and spent some time at the plaque which commemorates those seven bandsmen who were killed, please do so. So who was responsible for this carnage in July 1982? In 1987, Gilbert Danny McNamee, an electronics engineer from Northern Ireland, was jailed for 25 years, after being found guilty of building the radio-controlled bomb used in the Hyde Park attack. He was released from prison in 1998 under the terms of the Good Friday Agreement and later that year, the Court of Appeal overturned his conviction on the grounds it was unsafe. Incredibly, the man strongly suspected of pushing the button continues to evade justice in Ireland today. But these political matters for another podcast. Our interest is in the people involved. The relatives of the victims had to try to move on with their lives as did those who'd been injured. Many, including the wife of Jeff Young, had a full nervous breakdown and she's never recovered from those events in the summer of 82. But there were some positives. For many, out of the carnage of that day in London, a horse named Sefton emerged as a symbol of hope. Ridden by its rider, Michael Pedersen, along with 15 other horses from the regiment, it was caught in the first blast. Due to the severity of his wounds, Sefton was led in the first horse box to arrive on the scene, where he was driven back to the barracks along with Chief Vet Major Carding, Farrier Major Brian Smith and three other troopers holding Sefton as he clung to life. Carding ordered the horse box to the forge rather than the stables due to its proximity. And here, Carding began 90 minutes of emergency operations to save Sefton's life. The first of the British Army's vet officers to operate on warlike wounds to a cavalry horse in more than half a century, whilst also directing care of the other wounded horses prior to the arrival of civilian vets to assist. Carding 
the civilian vets, farriers and troopers managed to save all of the horses who had been brought back to barracks from the explosion scenes. Sefton's injuries were serious. They included a severed jugular vein, a wounded left eye and 34 wounds over his body. His rider, Trooper Michael Pedersen, noted that Sefton responded so competently that when the bomb exploded there was no chance of his being thrown. After dismounting, Pedersen, who was still in full state kit and in severe shock, could do little to help Sefton. The black gelding was given a 50-50 chance of survival, but recovered sufficiently to return to military service for a further two years. Sefton became a symbol of the struggle against the IRA, and Sefton and Pedersen became national celebrities, with appearances on the TV programme Blue Peter and other TV programmes. Sefton returned to his duties with the regiment, and he often passed the exact spot where he had received such horrific injuries. That year, he was awarded Horse of the Year, and with Pedersen back in the saddle, took centre stage at the Horse of the Year show to a standing ovation. In 1984, Sefton retired from the Household Cavalry and moved to the Home of Rest for Horses at Speen, Buckinghamshire, where he lived to the age of 30, before having to be put down on the 9th of July 1993 due to incurable lameness as a complication of the injuries suffered during the bombing. Following his experience, Sefton became one of the first horses to be placed in the British Horse Society's Equestrian Hall of Fame, and with an annual award named after him. And in 2013, a statue of Sefton was unveiled at the Royal Veterinary College. And what of his rider, Michael Pedersen? Like many of his colleagues, he would never forget what he had seen, and he would never recover from it. Pedersen, who was 21 at the time of the Hyde Park bombing, was known as Mick to his friends and family. He married his first wife, Susan Day, with whom he had a daughter, Laura. Mick left the army and by 2001 had started a career as a lorry driver. His first marriage ended in divorce and in 2002 he married his second wife, Erica, a driving instructor in St Austell, Cornwall and he settled in Ashford, Middlesex where they ran a haulage company called High Road Logistics. Erica, as well as teaching driving, was a company secretary of her husband's firm, High Road Logistics South East Limited. The couple had two children, Ben and Frere, and neighbours knew Pedersen as a doting father and a lovely man who would always help out if anyone had a problem. Michael absolutely adored his children and spent lots of time with them. Neighbours described the children as happy, polite and lively, saying they always played outside with their dad's staffy dog and would run after the ice cream van in the summer. One said... They were just full of life, just lovely kids. But as so often in this podcast, the reality was so different to what was portrayed to the outside world. Michael was increasingly jealous and controlling and his wife was struggling to cope with his behaviour. Michael had been to see his doctor, fearing that his behaviour was being driven by post-traumatic stress disorder brought on by the events of Hyde Park in 1982. Matters came to a head at an army reunion dinner on the 25th of August, 2012. It appears that at the party, Erica kissed another man and was seen doing so by Michael. 
Although Erica said this was just a kiss when she was tipsy, this isn't how Michael saw it at all. He and Erica split up over the incident, after Michael had become violent in his reaction. Following the argument over the kiss, Erica said she had suffered a broken arm and a shoulder after Michael had pushed her and she had fallen. He had told his wife that she was an unfit mother and shoved her in the back. This was no surprise to Erica, who said at the time in their relationship there was constant shouting as Michael's jealous behaviour deteriorated. The police were called after this incident and Erica was granted an injunction banning Michael from going within 500 yards of the family home. He moved into a house in nearby Chertsey, Surrey, but he was devastated, as could be seen from the following post on his Facebook page, which said, Worst day of my life. Sadly, have split with Erica. I'm absolutely distraught. Yes, a few problems in everyday life, but none insurmountable. Can't believe I'm supposed to have pushed her at the weekend. Too untrue for words. Still love her very much and would give anything to turn the clock back and try to make things different. Footnote. Both parties need to give all to make this wonderful institution of marriage work. Brackets and sometimes more. Close brackets. Inappropriate behaviour is not required. Love the partner you are with completely. Sorry everyone. Friends were shocked, replying that he and his wife seemed to have been having a ball at the weekend party and urging him to keep his chin up. One friend told him that his squaddy buddies will be there for you if you need help. But he became increasingly bitter very quickly after separating from Erica, writing again on Facebook, Why is it that when you ask someone who is hiding something, why they acted as they did, they maintain they were drunk? Yet when something dreadful happens, they maintain they weren't, and try to assassinate your good name instead. Michael told friends that he didn't assault Erica, and he was not just angry with her, but also the police, who he felt had not listened to him after he was questioned on suspicion of assault. Then on Sunday the 30th of August, he took his children to visit their grandfather in Andover Hans, where they had a picnic lunch by a lake. Michael was due to take him back to Erica that evening, but instead he drove his Saab convertible to a country lane near the village of Newton Stacey. Before leaving the family home that morning, Michael had taken Erica's chef knife and this is what he used to stab both of his children to death. They both fought back, as could be seen by the defensive injuries on the hands of both Ben and Freya. But when both children were dead... Michael stabbed himself three times in the chest and once through his forearm, killing him too. When the emergency services arrived at the scene, a number of letters addressed to various people, including Erica and the police, were discovered inside the vehicle. There were no traces of drink or drugs found inside Michael's body. Erica's family identified the two children at the morgue and Michael's dad identified his son. The police said, The families of Michael, Ben and Frere have been informed and specialist family liaison officers from Hampshire Constabulary and officers from Surrey Police are working with them to provide support and keep them updated as the investigation progresses. Our thoughts are with the family and friends of those involved at this extremely difficult time and I'd ask that they be allowed to come to terms with what has happened in a dignified and respectful way.
nearby at the red brick terrace family home. A school bag lay in the porch and the curtains were pulled shut. Later, at the inquest, the coroner recorded that Frere and Ben had been unlawfully killed by their father. He ruled that Michael Pedersen committed suicide. He said, It seems to me this was a preconceived decision because of the location chosen. It was on a remote spot in the country where you might assume you are unlikely to be seen or discovered. What happened is beyond comprehension. It must have been terrifying for Ben and Frere in particular to have realised what their father intended and then to be attacked in the way that they clearly were. Brian Pedersen, Michael's dad, said that his son had been affected by the breakdown of his marriage more than his experiences with the army. I think the thing that hurt him more than anything else was when he was told to leave his house and children and to leave Erica, who he loved in his own way. I don't think he could bear to live without all those things and for anyone to say that it was what happened in the army that affected his judgement, that's wrong, he said. Erica simply said, my angels are in heaven now. And poignantly for Erica, who still lives in the family home, there now stand two hauntingly lifelike grey stone statues of a boy and a girl in the porch. So what do you make of what we've heard today? So terribly distressing, isn't it? So many innocent lives needlessly taken away by the IRA bombs. I mean, could there be weaker targets? Just dreadful. And then so many of those who survived effectively lost their lives that day. It's so hard for us to understand and the repercussions are still being felt 35 years on for those who survived. And how does Erica Pedersen cope with losing her husband and their two lovely young children. It's just heartbreaking, isn't it? I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. Please head to the Facebook group to discuss this episode and all aspects of UK True Crime. And to support this podcast, please head to the Patreon page at patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime, where for less than £3 a month, you can access 11 bonus episodes along with other exclusive content. Please also head to HelloFresh and ShipStation to support this podcast. So until we speak again next week, it's cheerio from me.